So 1 Peter chapter 3 and verses 1 to 12. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles, the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Amen. May God speak to us through his word. So, uh, you realize that I'm, I preach on this passage only when Maria's in crash. Um, and I bind you all to silence, whatever I say now. And it's quite funny, really, because, uh, um, you know, thinking, coming to a Sunday like Sunday, what are we going to share? And um, they, uh, uh, we've been following through the 1 Peter 3, and the way this sermon has fallen, it's fallen between last week, the, the uh, all-age service, which uh, was International Women's Day, and next week, which is Mother's Day. And so I thought, well, actually, this fits quite well. There's a theme going on here last week, this week, next week, um, uh, around uh, the women. So let's go with it. And um, uh, to start with, when you read this passage, we've got to be honest and say, you read this passage and it can feel a bit dated in 21st century Britain. I can't remember the last wedding ceremony that I took or in my family or I've gone to where they have said, used the words, love, honor, and obey. Um, It's nearly always changed these days to love, honor, and cherish. Um, And in the modern world, we are used to women and men being equal and any suggestion that women are in verse 7, the weaker partner, 
seems out of step um, with reality. Of course, the backdrop of, uh, there's a backdrop to this in two ways. One, the backdrop of the Old Testament, that the Old Testament is a patriarchal society, a male-dominated culture and society. Men had control of land and possessions. In the Old Testament and the people of God in the Old Testament, only men could become priests and only the males were circumcised. The context of 1 Peter in the Greek-Roman world in which he was writing uh, was also a male-dominated culture and society. First century Greek and Roman culture was largely dominated by men. Women tended to be viewed as less intelligent and less trustworthy than men. Therefore, they had less access to education, to social and political power and justice. Families, which were seen as integral to a healthy society, generally had clear divisions of power, with the father figure being ultimately responsible for and in charge of everyone within the household. Around the time of Peter's letter, Plutarch, who was a Greek thinker and writer, wrote, A woman ought not to make friends of her own, but to enjoy her husband's friend in common with him. The gods are the first and foremost important friends. Hence, it is becoming for a wife to worship and to know only the gods that her husband believes in and to shut the door upon all strange rituals and outlandish superstitions. So this Old Testament history and the uh, Greek-Roman culture um, is, it provides the context in which Peter is writing. So the norm of the day was to consider women to be subject to men and to um, and, and have a lesser status in society. But of course, when we look through the Bible, there are parts of the Bible that challenge that presupposition. So we look through the Bible, and I think I've got a list upon the screen. Here's a, a selection um, of women who feature uh, significantly in the Bible. So the first one is Deborah. Deborah was a judge in Israel. I'm just going to quickly turn to that, look that up, Judges 4. And in Judges 4 and verse 4, we read, Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. And then in verse 9 of Judges 4, it says, Certainly I will go with you. So verse 8, Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go. Um, it's about uh, a conflict. Um, but if you don't go with me, I won't go. And Deborah said, Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah, verse 9. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will deliver Caesarea into the hands of a woman. And 
you know, some would say, the commentators would say that um, Deborah came to prominence because there was no man of, of, of good uh, who was obedient to the Lord and able to lead uh, Israel at that time. And that seems to be emphasized there in, in verse 9, that uh, um, the Lord will deliver Caesarea into the hands of a woman because no man was found. Um, to be of sufficient stature to lead this. But Deborah was found. Deborah, a prophet. Deborah, who had the integrity and was obedient to the Lord, could lead. Secondly, we find Esther. Esther kind of uh, accidentally found herself married um, to the king of Persia, um, King Xerxes. And when Haman, at a time when the Jews were in exile, and Haman wanted all the Jews to be killed, a bit of ethnic cleansing was Haman's ambition. But Esther had found herself a little bit like the way Joseph found himself in Egypt at the time of the, uh, the famine um, in Israel. Esther and the widow Joseph ended up in power because of the dream and the way God provided the way for Joseph to come alongside the Pharaoh. We see that God had his hand on Esther and brought Esther to a position of influence and power for such a time as this or that. Um, and she was able to influence King Xerxes, able to have the edict halted and Haman stopped in his tracks. And Esther was the one um, who acted, who, who, yes, encouraged by Mordecai, but had the courage um, to speak out and to stop, and brought um, and saved the Jews who were in Persia at that time. And it led to him and himself being killed. We could go on to Mary, the mother of Jesus, called to bear the Son of God, um, Luke chapter 1, verse 46, 45, we know in the Christmas narratives, um, the, the humility and, uh, but obedience and yet courage that Mary displayed, that she stepped up to that which God called her to. And as we know in the Roman Catholic Church, uh, they revere Mary greatly um, as the mother of God because of her uh, humility, her willingness to be used of God and her courage and the role that she played. Then, number four, I've got there, the women who went to the tomb. People sometimes say that the women were the first witnesses of the risen Christ. That's true. And the first evangelists, the first ones to go and speak and tell others about Jesus because they went to the tomb and then found that Jesus was not there. And then they, when Jesus appeared to them, he said, God, tell the disciples that he is risen. At Pentecost, um, Peter quotes from Joel. So Peter himself was uh, the one who led the way at Pentecost in preaching. Um, Acts, Acts 2, 
And so in Acts chapter 2, and verse 17, 18, uh, well, 16, um, well, if I start at 14, Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in these days. And they will prophesy. And there as the Spirit came at Pentecost and Peter sees a fulfillment of the prophecy of, of Joel from hundreds of years before, being fulfilled before him, it includes sons and daughters will prophesy. And uh, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit and they will prophesy. And we begin to see it unfolding in terms of uh, as the uh, spirit was poured out, that something different was happening under the new covenant. If we go on in Acts, in Acts chapter 16, um, we read about Lydia, who hosted the Philippian church in her home. So Acts chapter 16 and verses 13 to 15 Verse 13 of Acts 16, on the Sabbath we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth which kind of puts her in context as being a businesswoman and uh, likely of uh, quite a, a wealthy businesswoman. It says she was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened their heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. And if you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. And then, as things went on and Paul and Silas ended up in prison, um, then they were released. And so then, at the end of that chapter, um, we find verse 40 of chapter 16. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. And, and so we see the prominence of Lydia, not in the sense that Lydia was uh, suddenly become a pastor and a preacher and, and what have you, but we see the role that she played in hosting the church, that early church in, in Philippi, and, and in a way taking a lead by saying, come, come and stay at our house, come and invite everybody here. Um, and she, uh, in these early days of the early church, um, we see um, themes emerging and the roles that these women were playing. And one more. Um, it's not exhaustive, but it's uh, just covering some of the um, 
significant ones. In Romans 16, the last chapter of Romans, when the Apostle Paul is going around, um, going through the list and appreciating the people uh, who have helped him and who he's encountered during the, during the, in his mission. We see in chapter 16, verse 1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in, in the century, suggests um, she had some kind of recognition in a role in, in the early church. Priscilla, verse 3, Greek Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ, they risked their lives for me. Um, not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. So Priscilla um, is honoured there. And then Junius, verse 7. Um, some uh, commentators debate whether Junior is a, is a male or female, but I think the, um, the consensus is with female here. Our great Andronicus and Junior, my fellow Jews, who have been in prison with me, they are outstanding among the apostles, the messengers, those who are bringing the good news. And there were in Christ before I was. And so we have this uh, list of uh, women who throughout scripture have played significant roles. And then as we try and uh, read our way into the early church and how it looked, and in the background of this Roman Greek culture and, and the, um, the Old Testament um, culture, we see women emerging, taking up roles within the early church. And two significant things to say in the next slide, uh, please, Yemisi. Um, whereas men had been and still remained in the culture of their day, head of the household, in all of Paul's teaching is a significant uh, theological point that now Christ was head of the church. The church, the, the early church, the new church of uh, Jesus Christ, Christ was head of the church. So although in the culture of the day men still uh, were generally recognized as, as head of a household, in the church Christ was head. The second thing is that whereas men had been the natural leaders in society and culture, but in the church spiritual gifting becomes the overriding factor. So 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 to 7 says, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. And now, verse 7, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And there's an inclusivity about that, that um, the gifts are given as the Spirit wills. In the same way as in Judges, Deborah was raised up because she was the person who was able to carry that responsibility at that time, even though it was against the rub of how things were normally done at that time. We see this uh, much more in the New Testament. 
again, we're back to Acts 2 and Pentecost and your men and your women and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. The Spirit is being poured out and the Spirit shall give those who, it, who, who he wills. And verse 11, all of these are the work of one and the same Spirit and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So we, in the church, we have Christ as head and the Spirit, the one who distributes the gifts. Though in the home, the cultural assumptions of the day um, are that the uh, men, are, the husbands in the home, still carry authority. And I do try to point this out to Maria, but with limited success. I, <laughs> but let's come to the passage now, uh, 1 Peter 3, and I know I've taken a long time to paint the background, but actually I'm not going to say very much about the passage itself, um, except to say three things, which I think flows out to this. Because like we said about, uh, like I said about the... Um, the slaves, and the passage on the slaves in chapter 2. They find themselves, and a few weeks ago we were talking about this, uh, they find themselves in a position where they weren't able, you would think when you, you read this passage now in the 21st century about slaves in chapter 2 of, of 1 Peter, and you would think, well, why don't they get up and just rise up and rebel? Why don't they turn things over and say, we're not going to be slaves or servants anymore. We are going to... Um, set ourselves free, and we see these movements throughout history. But, of course, there isn't always the opportunity to do that. Often, and, and still today, many people find themselves in situations where they cannot change the situation they're in. Some of you may find yourselves in a work situation, and you feel, well, I can't leave because I, 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 need, the, I need to work, I need the money, I need to stay in this job but I can't cope with this job, and, and you get trapped. And what do I do? If I protest against the management too much, they'll chuck me out. If I stay in the job, I'm destroying my soul, and you get caught between. And that's true in the slaves throughout history. There's times when they haven't been able, they haven't been, had the power or the leverage or there aren't enough of them or there hasn't been, uh, they, the, those who are oppressing were too powerful and hold them in that situation, and, and so they have to... So what, is, what does Peter say to them? He says, but still live as a Christian, even though you're in that situation. And so we find it in chapter 3, that the language is very much a language that suits the... Uh, reflects the culture and thing in which they live. And yet the Christian gospel is pointing to something beyond the situation that they are in. So wives, he said in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. So that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by their behavior when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. They say, women in unbelieving homes should be a good witness for Christ. Um, they may not be completely happy in the situation that they're in. They may feel, but to reflect grace and love, unless, of course, 
a, a, a wife is being abused, a partner is being abused, and in which case sometimes it's time to step aside and step out of that situation. I would never as a pastor advocate that a woman should um, stay in a, a marriage, a relationship that is abusive. Um, they have to be helped and empowered to speak up and find somebody to help them and, if necessary, speak to the authorities. Now, you know, we can read this today in our world in which we live and, and perhaps we can laugh about some of these things, you know. I can tell my wife not to go to the hairdressers as much and, and not to wear as much gold jewellery. But you can see the, 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 the objective of where Peter is going with this, even within his cultural context. Because then he goes on in verse 7 to say, Husbands, and speaking to the men in the church, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Love your wives. Treat them with respect. As the weaker partner, I, I sometimes used to think of it. I know it's not very helpful, so I won't say. <laughs> but uh, as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so nothing will hinder your prayers. The responsibility there does put on Christian men, Christian husbands, upon those of us to, who uh, have wives to, to love our wives and to care for them, to love them as we love the Lord, and to, um, to be said it wouldn't hinder our prayers, that it doesn't hinder our spiritual life. Our love for God and our love for our family should be uh, not two separate things. We can't come into church and praise God and love all the people in church and then go home and abuse our family. God says no. We're just mocking God if we behave in that way. Of course, finally, so Christian men should be a good witness for Christ in the way they behave. And finally, all of you, verse 8, like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble and so on and so forth. Christian men and women, married, unmarried, all of us are called to be like Christ and to behave with the, in the way that Christ, that would honor Christ. And, and it's, it's, it's quite clear here. Do not repay evil with evil, insult with insult. Repay evil with blessing. Verse 10, for whoever would love his life and see good days, keep your tongue from evil. Turn from evil, do good. Seek peace, pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are attentive to their prayers. So Christian men and women, all of us. And of course, it's true for us in these times when there's anxiety, when there may be people who have to stay at home, when there may be people who who, you know, need help or need a phone call just to have a chat and encouragement and all these things are important. 
and we need to live in a way that honors Christ. So certainly in Peter's day, there was a lot that the women couldn't change. Certainly not overnight. But their life together in church was changing. And both men and women in whatever home life and as in the chapter 2 in the working life, the things that we can't change, we can pray about. The things that we can't change, we can still act in ways that were different to the cultural norms. And in that way, Christ would be honored and the church would grow for the love of God to be made known, for the people to come to faith in Christ, but not only to come to faith in Christ, but to change the way they live is evident in what Peter is teaching here. 